We said it last Friday, we'll say it today, and we'll even say it next Thursday as well. We made it here in the fast lane. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. High school football was last Friday. College football starts this evening, including at 7.30 p.m. 8 o'clock. Uh, thank you, Trey. Because we have Tech Talk tonight. Live at 7. Yes, that is correct. The Normally, it would be 7.30. But Tech Talk Live at 7 from 7 to 8 leads into our game, which is a big one, Florida against Utah. And then Florida's going to win. I have a sneaking feeling you're right, even though Miami guy can't stand them, and I'd love to see an it, SEC it, team lose one of these games. But if, if histor- Cam- hold on a second, historically SEC teams win these games. Yeah, that uh, I was just thinking if Cam Rising plays, I would pick Utah. Um, but we saw in the Rose Bowl last year the drop off between even with the Keithy the tight end, like the drop off from Rising to the backup is just too big. Florida has enough talent. Um, and uh, I think they're going to run the ball pretty effectively, so that's that's why I'm picking Florida tonight. And then we'll do We Made It Again next week because that's when the NFL season kicks off. But that's not the lock of tonight. No. Um, what is, by the way, okay, hold on just a second before we get to your lock tonight. So you bring up an interesting point. I know we'll get to Bubba Wallace because we mentioned that in our rundown at Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Trey Law VT. So we'll get to that momentarily. But here's my other reason why I'm with you on Florida as much as I don't want it to happen. I'd love to see Utah win, even if it's a slob, slobber knocker type game. Grunge fest, if you will. Beat them up physical football. Because if Virginia Tech is excited by a defensive lineman that couldn't cut it at Florida, but is upgrading exponentially Virginia's defensive line, Virginia Tech's defensive line and pass rush, that being Antoine Powell Ryland, the four-star recruit out of the Virginia Beach area. Portsmouth, I guess, to be specific. Then, what does that say about what Florida has on the defensive line? And then, as well-coached as Kyle Whittingham has the Utah Utes every single season, they've never shown they have those kind of guys. They're what Virginia Tech actually was back in the Frank Beamer era when Alabama would want to play them regularly. And that is a program that really will play to its ceiling, high ceiling, or high floor, low ceiling team. But, inevitably, when you go up against a team with more raw talent, they can figure it out. So, that's my two cents. Trey, before we get to Bubba Wallace, you have a lock of the evening. I'm shocked it's this low. Uh, Give me NC State minus 14 and a half against UConn. You know, Trey, I'm with you on that as well. I am definitely with you. I am more convicted in that. I would give, you've got Florida to win outright. The Utah game against Florida-Utah, to me, is a stay away. Uh, you know, you could have gotten it at 10. Granted, the Cam Rising news has caused this line to come crashing down to about four, four and a half, depending on where you look. I took the Florida money line just for fun. So, it, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those bonus bets, so I'm not putting any actual money on it because... Because I'm trying to be smart financially, so I can go a little riskier. Also, uh, Nebraska plus seven and a half. I just think that's going to be a close game. It's at five now, Florida-Utah, for those that care. UConn and NC State, I'm with you, Trey. UConn exceeded expectations. Yes, they beat Liberty in the first of three games where it looked like Hugh Freeze and the staff were in the checkout line, that is, checking out from Liberty University. But 
you know, Brendan Armstrong with NC State, this is one of those, and they said this on the Cover 3 podcast and our friends at CBS Sports putting that on earlier today, but that this is the type of game where for NC State, you need to make a statement early about what your offense is, and it goes to the law of the wolf, as our guy Brett Friedlander of Saturday Road always likes to say, and that is... When you expect nothing out of NC State, they actually overperform. And last year, a lot was expected. Not so much this year. That's when NC State historically overperforms. Now, before we pivot away to what we've also teased at Fastlane, Ned Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Trail Alvi. Sorry, I'm excited because I have YouTube TV. There's going to be a four box on my screen tonight of four football games. I'm, 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 I'm quite excited. You are excited. I am a one screen kind of guy, so it'll be a lot of U.S. Open. And then, yes, pulling up the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app to check out Florida-Utah because the other clicker game would be NC State uh, at UConn. On CBS the, Sports on Network. On CBS Sports Network for ACC purposes. But before we get to Bob Wallace, we also need to remind you there's just a week left before this season wraps up. Okay, a little over a week for the Lynchburg Hillcats. So get your tickets now. If I'm not mistaken, reserve seats with a $10 food voucher. They are gone. But you can still get general admission tickets with a $10 food voucher for less than 10 bucks. So you're basically getting free food when you go to a Hillcats game. And... That holds for every single ticket. So you can load up on more tickets for more free food, all thanks to InsaneRadioDeals.com. That way you and your family can all eat with a lot more friendly budget than you might normally have set aside for those type of ventures. InsaneRadioDeals.com. Um, NASCAR playoffs. We'll get to this with Luke and Glover along with his thoughts. He had a great piece from FrontStretch.com about the idea of Richmond possibly having two cup dates in one weekend as being a solution to how to handle this scheduling. Uh, it's well thought out because it presents multiple sides, and you know normally these thought pieces are only supposed to take one side. I actually think it's very well thought out. So we'll discuss that with him in the fast lane. But we've touched on why Bubba Wallace deserved to make the playoffs over Daniel Suarez and Chase Elliott because of the better cumulative data over the course of the season. And while Bubba was not spectacular, he was more consistent than Chase Elliott, who put himself in a bind from the skiing snowboarding accident initially and then the one race suspension from uh from hooking Denny Hamlin and I mean look those are self-inflicted mistakes he doesn't get credit for running any of those races because he didn't take care of his business and so he was not consistently able to show up and availability is an ability but then there's also Daniel Suarez who I just don't think that team ran as well as you would have expected for much of the regular season and Trackhouse in general looked off, but Ross Chastain managed to earn a victory at Nashville, a race in which he dominated and clearly was worthy. Whereas Suarez missed a couple of must-win opportunities, most notably the Indy Road Course a couple of weeks ago. And it goes to what we mentioned before. You're, use this analogy for who got into the playoffs in NASCAR, similar to winning a Week 17, now Week 18 game, in the NFL regular season. And that is teams that enter that week of the regular season, final week of the regular season in the NFL. In a must-win scenario, they must not be all that good. And if you are a driver who enters the final race of the playoffs and you must get a victory or a really good finish to secure your fate, you must not have had that good of a season. And that's part of where all this goes in. And for Chase Elliott, we've documented it before, but it does touch on something that's bigger, and it goes back to what Alan Gustafson said, the crew chief for Chase Elliott, after their loss 
of a race, that is, at Watkins Glen, where everything seemed to go wrong, and touched on it and elaborated it even with minimal words. It's internal stuff. I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go over our internal struggles in the media, so. Alan Gustafson, part one. But then he elaborated when pushed a little bit further, including by frontstretch.com. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly, I'm not going to go over internal stuff in the media, and I'm certainly not going to educate everybody else on the problem. So, sorry, Bob. Alan Gustafson speaking. And he was, of course, referencing Fox Sports' Bob Pachris with that second soundbite. But people have been pushing them for answers and wanting them because, let's be honest, in the media, a lot of it is relaying to fans what may not actually appear from the team on said social media platform or website because oftentimes they're going to omit some of the negative things that have come out, even if they're storylines. And that's where there is a bit of a necessary evil. And that's just understanding how the media really works as opposed to insert your team here, platform, website, social media, content, whatever it is. But there's also the Bubba Wallace angle to this. And listen to the raw emotion that he carried from the victory in his eyes, which is getting into the chase. We didn't win the race at Daytona, but it was a win for Bubba Wallace and his team to make it into the NASCAR playoffs. And here's what Bubba had to say about the range of emotions to Fox Sports, Bob Hockers. Right now, I'm, I feel like I'm, I don't know, in English class back in high school, bored as hell. You know, I, it's, it's weird. Uh, sorry to my English teacher, but um, I think leading up, I'd say starting Sunday night, uh, all the way to climbing in the car. That was the most stressed I've ever been, um, but the, also the most hyper-focused um, I've ever been. It was uh, kind of a surreal situation that I was in mentally. Bubba Wallace, speaking with Bob Pachris. I, I want to say Bubba has support me too. I was very bored in English class a lot, so it's okay. You know, oddly enough for me, it was less English and it was more like the complex math classes where I'm sitting there going, am I ever going to use this stuff in the real world? No. And, I mean, look, for geometry, absolutely. You know, packing things, measurements, projects around the house, 100%. You know, even those some math equations, absolutely. But some of the complex stuff where it really doesn't matter that much, you know, it's like showing me fancy Pythagorean theory? Yeah, I mean... Have you ever used that? Uh, you know, I, I can't even recall it. I mean, granted, I look at, you know, spreadsheets and accounting-based principles and even certain, you know, charts and graphs when it comes to what to expect in probabilities of outcomes, Oh, yeah, I mean, I see probabilities and outcomes quite regularly and do grasp that there's value to that. But then there's a whole different one. Total side note, of course, on what Bubba Wallace said to Bob Pockers. But you can hear the emotion and the range of them. Bored because he'd spent so much energy being anxious before that particular event. And I do think it is something people don't give credit to is Bubba Wallace carries a unique burden in NASCAR. And some may say it's self-inflicted. And you know I don't think it's completely wrong because he's put himself out there and been willing to be the face of a lot of NASCARs, I think, needed, but still uh, change in terms of its approach to diversity, which has been good for NASCAR to open up their sport to new fans. But you can also hear it because after those range of emotions kind of subsided and he thought about what this win meant, he elaborated on just being proud enough to perform for his team. Just proud to kind of make it all work and, and having the people behind me, my team, my wife, um, helping me navigate all the obstacles, you know, getting to this point. But uh, just proud. Just so so honored to be here and, and uh, thankful. Just uh, super cool. You got a different range of emotions just in the two responses from Bubba Wallace. 
One of which is, you know, kind of bored. And then he mentioned stress. Then mentioning the feeling of pride. You know, again, this isn't a bad thing, but it clearly is a guy who's, who wears his emotions on his sleeve. And you hear that expressed in a lot of different ways. Oddly enough, not all that dissimilar to Chase Elliott, who when he has a disappointing run, you can tell in his tone and body language that it happens. Or, heck, Alan Gustafson, the crew chief, who you could tell, I think, is reasonably stressed about how long he might be piloting that car. Maybe Hendrick will do what Trey Lyle suggested on the Front Stretch Happy Hour podcast last week and swap out the crew chiefs and maybe crews for Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman. (laughs) Don't take a victory lap just yet, Trey. I could tell you were ready. I was saying that's free advice, Rick. I just just want to point that out, Mr. H. Free advice. But then there's the other thing of Bubba Wallace as well. He's on social media. He's active. Some of it is, yes, his handlers and team uh, using that site, but clearly he pays enough attention to what is said or isn't said about him. It, uh, all those comments that people throw on your videos about Bubba Wallace making the playoffs, they're wrong. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bubba Wallace with his emotions. But you can also tell by making that comment that he is paying attention to what people say to him. And that's where making the playoffs is a step for him and a sense of relief. Now, I do think they've underachieved at 23-11 racing this year, and in particular, Bubba Wallace. But he's found speed at certain tracks where Tyler Reddick has actually struggled of late. And consistency has been an issue that, to be quite frank, Trey, has dogged Bubba Wallace, has dogged Tyler Reddick, although Reddick has got the victory this year. Earlier in the year, Bubba Wallace does not. But can you honestly say that outside of maybe four teams in NASCAR, four drivers in NASCAR, that consistency has, by and large, been an issue for the majority of NASCAR teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think in this, especially this first round, consistency is the key. And if you look at these three races, uh, especially the first two, Bubba qual like Bubba qualified second at Darlington this year, ended up finishing fifth, and then at Kansas he won this race a year ago. Like. If he just, and I'm not saying he has to win at Kansas, like if he puts up the type of performances he can at those two tracks, he's pretty good at Bristol. So this round sets up really good for him being that 16th seed where he just needs probably two top five runs, which he can probably get at the first two tracks. Uh, But yeah, consistency, I think that's what ultimately got Truex the regular season title is that he seems to me to be the most consistent driver week in and week out. I think a really good example of lack of consistency is Kyle Larson. It's it's really you look at his like positional running, his laps led, that sort of thing. It's it's all near the top four. But the reason he's so kind of he's not that in the top four seeds is because he's not had the consistent finishes. He's not been able to finish races. And and that's something he needs to clean up in the playoffs. I think he will but that that's an example of a driver who's had a lot of hit or miss. I think Kyle Busch is is even to a bigger degree. Like I would not be shocked if Kyle Busch is out in this round or makes it all the way to the championship eight. No, it's harder to get a read on different drivers. I took a flyer on Chase Elliott when he came back from the missed races, thinking he would get to victory lane, but then uh, immediately started to regret it after he hooked Denny Hamlin and was never the same since then. Um, but the other one, you know, if you're talking betting purposes, is Kyle Larson for me at eight to one, just because the market I don't think will ever correct because I, there is a built-in bias uh, with Kyle Larson because of what happened the last year. But there are a number of drivers where if they get on a run, it wouldn't shock me. Denny Hamlin to a certain extent, but certainly Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch are the two that clearly come to mind in terms of being able to catch lightning in a bottle. Then there are others that seem like they might be more destined for an early exit. Speaking of early exits. 
Someone made one of those at the U.S. Open. We'll get to that right now on the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. So among the early headlines for the U.S. Open, if you've been hiding under a rock and it's understandable now that we're in football season, that that might be your focal point of interest. But Coco Golf, tough first match against Laura Sigmund, which was really interesting because of the stall tactics used by Laura Sigmund that just elongated that match. And, you know, I'm fine with her doing that on her serve and creating a new serve motion to make it even longer and force Coco to not play as fast as she wants. But when it happened on Coco's serve, I get Coco Golf being frustrated. But then for Coco to bounce back and really dispatch of Mira Andreva yesterday was pretty impressive. Kind of made up for the amount of court time she had on Monday night with a quicker performance on Wednesday. Uh, meanwhile, Francis Tiafo and Taylor Fritz have both looked as expected. It's kind of highlighted the way the men's tournament has gone so far. Anybody that's been expected to make a run, and I'll throw Stefano Sissipas out because he lost early, but I didn't expect much out of him because uh, he's really sunk the last couple of years. Uh, same with Felix Alger Ali seem but you know everybody has kind of gone what you expected and I mean if you think about it men's tennis is best three sets out of five so the variance of a bad set snowballing itself into a pressurized second set and then all of a sudden you lose and you're out it's really not there you can have a bad first set flip the switch in the second and then just cruise on beyond that uh speaking of bad results Venus Williams is the other one for women's tennis I mean look matchup wise I admire the heck out of her because she's won eight grand slams and wants to keep playing but the results clearly are not there and anybody that can move her around it clearly shows that there's just not as much left in the legs to be able to get to shots whether you move her around or certainly have a good drop shot uh, like she faced in her opening round loss a couple of nights ago number four quick little field hockey note and then to other sports after this liberty field hockey really impressive 3-1 victory over the university of virginia the other night it was a road win for liberty uva was coming off a victory against a fellow top 10 team at the time at least in penn state I'll, i'll say this though if you're trying to you know contextualize this for liberty they've been looking for marquee victories and having a chance and they've contended in some of these i do have my personal doubts about virginia it never seems like virginia field hockey ever reaches the expectations but for liberty it does create more feedback into the hashtag field hockey school conversation number three a total pivot away from that to news of the day and a bit of sad news dallas cowboys president and scouting director Gil Brandt, former scouting director Gil Brandt, passing away at the age of 91. Um, certainly, he helped the Cowboys with Tech Schramm build into that perception of America's team uh, and also being a larger worldwide brand in the world of sports. But he also really helped streamline the process of understanding how to scout, particularly players for the upcoming NFL draft each and every single offseason. And he's one of the architects of doing that he was also very generous with his time we had him on for interviews back years ago when he was more connected with uh the nfl network and nfl.com among his other ventures but uh, clearly a pioneer when it comes to the world of sports and uh passing away after a, a really good run at the age of 91 was former dallas cowboys executive gil brandt number two acc unveiling a new creative campaign that trey you could say if you're one of us that uh it fits the hollow notes category if you will because 
It is a campaign that focuses on their success in athletics, academics, and Olympic sports through a group of multiple outlets to brand themselves, including, I'm sure, TV ads that you'll see across the landscape when ACC games begin this evening with Elon and Wake Forest, as well as NC State at UConn. But is it going to do much to change the overall perception of the ACC and certainly their ability to generate substantially more money to keep its uh, restless members of the Magnificent Seven happy? I clearly have my doubts about that. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. Speaking of the ACC, their presidents have rescheduled their call for Friday morning to discuss more on the possibility of adding and maybe even voting on the additions of Cal, Stanford, and SMU. This, according to Yahoo and ESPN. It seems like this is the route this conference is going to go. Leftovers that are well past their prime going to the ACC, combining that with their history of adding, again, smaller schools to fit the narrative of a boutique conference, once again, fuels the reality that this conference has clearly been out of touch. And as it relates to that, we are out of time with the Fast Five at Five-ish. So when we return, we'll get to more on NASCAR. And looking ahead to Virginia, Tennessee with Eric Ainge, former NFL and UT quarterback around 545. But NASCAR talk. Luke and Glover, one of Trey's colleagues at FrontStretch.com, steps into the Fast Lane next on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.